21st century, global news is bigger, faster, more complicated, and frankly a whole lot scarier than ever. It's hard to know which stories to pay attention to, or how to make sense of it all. Don't worry too much though, because we got you covered. We're International Relations PhDs, and we're here to deliver a lighthearted dose of context and analysis to your podcast app, week after week. We're decoding global politics, so you don't have to. We are... The Elucidators. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Elucidators. I am your host, Steve Pally. With me, as always, is my co-host, Sumi Chatterjee. How are you doing, Sums? Doing well. How are you, Steve? Doing good. We are coming at you Tuesday morning, uh, November the 12th, and uh, we have a kind of a special thing for everybody today. Uh, we have the podcast's first guest. Uh, you want to tell our uh, audience a little bit about uh, our guest, Sooms? I sure do, and I'm really excited. Our our good friend and a really good expert on Latin American politics, uh, Dr. Jesse Acevedo is joining us. Jesse, uh, we know Jesse from when we were all getting our PhDs at UCLA. Jesse is now an assistant professor in political science at the University of Denver. He studies Latin American politics, migration, and a burgeoning field of remittances, which might be something we talk about in the future when we have Jesse back. That's right, Jesse. I just forced you to come back here. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Jesse. We're, we're stoked to have you, uh, and and not least of which, uh, because uh, we're we're actually in Latin America again this week. So, welcome, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me. And like, yeah, I'm I'm pretty damn impressed uh, how you guys prep for the show, especially with this like news breaking stuff like over the weekend, and then yeah. like, the couple days to get ready as things change. I was like. All right, uh, I'll do what I can. Steve, yeah, Steve, well, don't cut him off. He needs to give us more praise. I like it. <laughs> yeah, the fact of the matter is, Sumi and I are like I would say halfway decent political scientists. Uh, probably not more, much more than halfway. Um, and we can we can fake being knowledgeable about any number of topics, but it helps a lot to have an actual subject matter expert. Uh, Sumi, back to you. Where are we this week? What's going on? We are in Bolivia this week, Steve. Okay. Why? Uh, I would like to answer your question of why we're in Bolivia with a uh, educational knock knock joke. Oh, splendid! All right. Yeah, no, this is uh, this is gonna be good and terrible. Knock knock, Steve. <sighs> Who's there? It's the president of Bolivia. Oh, Evo Morales. What's going on? Oh no, not Evo Morales. It's a trick question. Knock knock joke. There is no president of Bolivia because on Sunday Evo Morales stepped down. He resigned and has fled to Mexico. Why? Why do you do that? That's weird. Yeah, it is weird. Basically, Evo had to leave Bolivia because there were protests in the streets of uh, the big cities in Bolivia. Now, uh, we've been talking a lot about protests and Latin America and protests in Latin America. All right. So this sounds kind of familiar. Uh, but before we get into that, how's about will you give me a previously on Bolivia? Because frankly, I don't know that much about Bolivia. And neither do a lot of people. <laughs> So Bolivia is a fascinating country. We tend to talk about Latin America as if it's this uniform thing. And the more times we've gone to Latin America in our episodes of the show, we see it's actually very diverse and the politics vary greatly by country. Bolivia is a good example of this tremendous variation. So Bolivia, 
let me contextualize Bolivia for in American terms. Now, there's 11 or 11 to 12 million people in Ohio. That is roughly the same the same population as Bolivia. Now, if you took the population of Ohio and dispersed that population in a landmass the size of California and Texas put together, you would have Bolivia. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're basically telling me that it is a huge, massive country with not very many people. Uh, what about the economy? The economy. So Ohio and California and Texas combined with the economic output of a small economy state like Wyoming. Ah, so it's also dirt poor. It's Bolivia has historically been one of the poorest countries in Latin America. Yeah. But currently, say for the past most of this century, but specifically the last 13, 14 years, Bolivia has been going through a boon time. And that boon has largely been felt by uh, lower and middle class Bolivians. And this boon time has also coincided with the reign of the no longer president, Evo Morales. Got it. All right. So what's Evo's deal? Where does he come from? Uh, what what was he doing? Uh, how did he govern the country? So Evo, uh, until relatively recently, was a very popular fella. Part of the reason he was popular is because he's the first uh, leader of Bolivia of indigenous extraction. Bolivia is the only country in Latin America in which the majority of the population is of indigenous extraction. He comes to power because he is a man of the people. He is a labor leader in the early part of this century, and he then runs against, in 2006, he runs against and wins an election to become president against uh, right-wing pro-business, uh, oppos- uh, the right-wing pro-business party that is in power. He is very popular. He wins with a majority of the vote in 2006. He wins re-election in 2009 and re-election again in 2014. So he served, uh, he's now in what, according to the Bolivian constitution, is supposed to be his final term in office from 2014 mm. to 2019. Yeah. You said supposed to be. Uh, Jesse, maybe you can step in and help us out here. What? Did Evo do uh, to uh, to kind of uh, earn the ire of uh, his fellow Bolivians here? It kind of pissed a lot of people off a few years ago. Um, well, a common strategy used by presidents in Latin America in the 21st century, no matter what part of the ideological spectrum they're in, was to to extend their reign of power constitutionally, and through that, a constitutional change. Uh, either through packing the courts or through a friendly legislature or sometimes through a referendum. Uh, Evo lost that referendum, yet he ignored the results of the referendum and used allies in the courts to kind of extend his reign on power by allowing him to run for uh, what would be his third term. Um, Got it. uh, The justification was human rights. Okay, so that's kind of weird. It's bananas. Um, I'm sorry. I got to. Jesse's giving the very kind diplomatic version of this. In 2016, partway through his his constitutionally mandate final term in office, he Evo pushes a referendum to the people to allow him to run for another term right now in 2019. The referendum fails. So he then goes to the Supreme Court, which is very friendly and loyal to Evo Morales, and then they say, Evo can run again, despite the voice of the people saying they don't want him to run again. 
on the grounds that not allowing this man to run again in violation of the Constitution would violate his human rights. Weird. It sounds like, uh, what does it sound like? It sounds like anti-democratic nonsense, frankly. Yeah, and unnecessarily so when demo- when you're the vo- supposed to be the voice of the people. It's, anyway. Right. Got it. Okay. Um, so that is the previously on Bolivia and Evo. Uh, basic contours, Bolivia, massive, giant, poor country, sparsely populated in South uh, South America um, has had a rough time of it historically, <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, this guy, Evo Morales, um, is of indigenous extraction, wins uh, the presidency in 2006, by all accounts does a great job for people, um, helps uh, develop the country economically, but then doesn't want to leave when he's supposed to. Uh, and that leads us to what has happened recently in Bolivia, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So what is going down in Bolivia right now? All right. I'll do the broad contours of this. And then Jesse, you uh, tell me what I mess up and give us the, the really important stuff. Here's long story short. Here's what happens in 2019, early in October, uh, things seem relatively placid in, in Bolivia in Oct- on October 16th, the Washington post actually writes a very glowing report about Evo's rule ahead of this election that Evo has pushed through uh, against a guy named Carlos Mesa. Uh, Basically, what happens is that as the results of this vote are coming in, uh, in order to win the presidency, you have to, the, the top finisher has to be ahead of the second place finisher by at least 10%. So, you can win with, say, 40% of the vote as long as the second place finisher has 30% or less. Anyway, as the results are coming in, it does not look good for our boy Evo. So in all of a sudden, while these bad results are coming in, something crazy happens. The power goes out. Wait, like like to the whole country? <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden, not to the whole country, but just specifically in the building where the results are being tallied or where they're where they're being broadcast from. This part, I think Jesse maybe can help clean up. But the long the long and the short of this is for 24 hours in the middle of the votes being tallied, the people of Bolivia who are are watching the results and seeing that Evo is probably not going to win this election by the necessary 10% to avoid a runoff election. Which he would lose, right? Which he would probably lose. Then all of a sudden, the the lights go out, and then 24 hours later, the lights come back on, and Evo is way ahead and gaining ground, and is looks now all of a sudden likely to cruise to an easy victory and a new mandate for, to serve from 2019 to 2024. It's a Halloween miracle in Bolivia. Yeah. Uh, no. Did we get all of that right, Dr. Jesse? Yeah, more or less. I mean, given okay. that we know from the past weekend, yeah. <laughs> and like you know, whole power outage stuff. I mean, it's nothing new in Latin America. It happened in Honduras not too long ago. It's happened in Mexico, like in the, I think, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. It's like people know something is definitely fishy when the power goes out. I don't know why people keep doing it. Uh, you could say the internet went out. That's more believable than the power <laughs> going out. Right. Just to this one specific building. That's just so weird. Wait a second. Huh. 
Hold yeah. on a second. Hold on. So you're telling us that Evo Morales took like the oldest play in the aspiring uh, dictator playbook and ran it in a region where everybody knows this play? Basically, I mean, <laughs> lazy. I, mean, I don't know why. I, mean, I, I don't know why these Latin American presidents continue to say the power went out, or or not just presidents, but the, you know the electoral the electoral board. I mean, you would think that they would have the best infrastructure, at least for that day. Um, but you know, it happens a lot. Okay, that's that's pretty funny. Um, so Avo is running in this election that everybody knows he's not supposed to be running in. Number one. Number two, uh, it looks like he's going to lose this election. Power goes out in rather fishy circumstances. It comes back on, and all of a sudden, he is uh, far enough ahead that that he can avoid the runoff. Uh, Number three, what happens next, Sooms? So the people take to the street. And I don't just mean the people that don't like Avo. I mean the people that like Avo, his supporters. This guy starts to lose support from all over the political spectrum. He obviously still has some support, but people take to the street. There are videos that you can see on social media. Take that with a grain or a whole bag of salt as you like it. That's your decision. But there are pictures and videos of police marching with protesters against uh, what appears by all measures to be an undemocratic power grab by Ava Morales. This then gets to the point where the protests are escalating in their ferocity, uh, and there is some violence. There's, I believe the last number I saw was three people killed, uh, 64 buses in La Paz were set ablaze. There's, there's definitely bad parts to this. I don't, you know, we make some jokes here, but it's not a good scene. It's not as bad as it could be. Uh, the, perhaps the most notable version uh, anecdote from this is the mayor of La Paz, the capital of Bolivia, is kidnapped by protesters. She's doused in paint. Her hair is cut. And she's basically shamed and humiliated publicly for being part of uh, Avo's power grab. Right. In in a scene somewhat reminiscent of uh, Game of Thrones when Cersei is like marched through King's Landing. Uh, except that the the mayor of La Paz is, is not naked, but it's like publicly humiliated, right? That sort yes. of thing. Yes, and also like unlike Cersei, she is defiant throughout. Like Cersei has has a breakdown. Yeah, and, and uh, this this is uh, one of one of Evo's main uh, political allies, right, Doctor Jesse? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, La Paz, the municipality, and like most Latin American countries, the mayor of the capital city is an important political player. So having that as an ally is valuable got it all right um and then uh so is is what happens next uh is is uh evo in power like where what what happened so he's in power but then the protesters are coming for him and the military and the police basically say we're not gonna protect you at which point on sunday so that's uh sunday november 10th Avo takes to the airwaves and says, there has been a coup in this country, and so I am resigning. Now, this is where we get to the crux of the matter, because as political scientists, our understanding of what coups are is pretty narrow, and it's that a coup is when there's been a sudden power grab, but there doesn't appear to be anyone who's grabbed the power. Interesting. Uh, Jesse, do you think this is a coup? Ah oh, man, this is where like I, I've been struggling because like the reason why we've been seeing people saying that it's a coup is because of the role the military did that press conference that say they suggest that the president resign 
this is what strongly suggest. <laughs> yeah, this is looked as a moment of this is the military intervening into politics, which raises a lot of red flags amongst Latin America, given the political history, right? Sure. But at the same time, no one is in power. Like there's this power vacuum. So yeah, the military doesn't step up and form a junta, right? Which, yeah. Or a military governing council, which is what usually happens during a coup. Yeah. So I would say like technically it's not a coup, but we could call it a coup next week, depending on who takes power. Really don't know. Um, yeah. It's been like kind of a tricky question in Latin America in the 21st century. I mean, before the, you know, during the Cold War, it was easy to call a coup, right? Because these military takeovers, the leader is either arrested or killed or, or exiled. It was very clear. But in the 21st century, we've, you know, a lot of scholars and observers have really struggled with what is a coup. And it's just led to kind of this debate, which gets to the point that we forget what's going on in Bolivia and other places. I mean, we could look at Honduras um, in 2009. It was a military coup, but there was a lot of people saying it wasn't a military coup because it was ordered by the court. Um, but it looks like a military coup because the president was basically kidnapped, exiled in his pajamas to Costa Rica. And then someone right. took the power. But then, you know, was the removal of Dilma Rousseff in Brazil a coup or the removal of President Lugo in Paraguay a coup? I mean, there's these are like serious questions that many scholars are wrestling with and you know you kind of see it in social media people kind of fighting over the semantics of whether this is a coup or not uh my point of view is like kind of wait and see on who takes power uh, it'll be interesting to see what the military does next i mean they haven't seen to they've been quiet for good reason and i think the big risk here is that for someone to take power they're going to look like a coup plotter and that could discredit <laughs> them. I mean, I think that's one reason why we haven't seen sudden jumps because if someone from the right takes power in Bolivia, then you have big constituencies on the left, even those leftists that oppose Morales quickly oppose the new person in power. That person discredited. It's, I mean, all I can, all I can see right now in Bolivia, it's going down a spiral or potentially down a spiral where anyone that takes power may not have any credibility whatsoever. So this is right. like a lose-lose situation right now. Got it. Okay. Thanks for explaining that. That that actually makes a ton of sense. We're clearly in an unsettled situation in Bolivia. Evo, for his part, has fled to Mexico. Um, he was, uh, I guess, offered asylum by AMLO, the president of, of Mexico, who we spoke about last week. Uh, he's he's a, a leftist president. Um, many of the leftists left in Latin, there aren't too many left in Latin America, uh, but those that are have called what has happened in Bolivia a coup. Meanwhile, the conservatives uh, or rightists in Latin America are saying, no, this was justified. Uh, President Trump in the United States has has applauded uh, what has happened in Bolivia for his part. Um, we're going to maul this over, take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss the implications. Hello, valued listeners. If you like what you're hearing on The Elucidators, please do us a solid and tell everyone you know about the podcast. If you really love us, please also feel free to rate us five stars on your podcast store, be it iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever, and write us a glowing review, because we rely on your positive feedback and word of mouth to grow and improve. And if you have comments or questions, you can email us at allonewordtheelucidators at gmail.com or tweet us at the underscore elucidators. We may even answer your question on the show. 
And we're back. So this is, uh, there are so many questions to be asked about Bolivia and all of them need to be caveated with, we are in the thick of it right now. So the question that first comes to mind is when is a coup a coup? Uh, Jesse, you, you made a really good point that this has been a problem in throughout the region. And right now the punitive uh, next leader of Bolivia is a woman named Janine Añez, who is a conservative. And she, if she were to come to power right away, she might have political legitimacy issues. So here's a question I guess I want to ask the both of you is, what the hell is going to happen next? Yeah. Well, I mean, from my perspective, not knowing very much about Bolivia, but as you know, somebody who's studied politics, one question is, why not just run the election back minus Evo? Right. Is, is that a possibility? So like one of the so the question when the OAS, the Organization of American States, released that report and then there is that pressure to have new elections. The question was, and this hasn't been really stated in the media, really. What would that new election look like? Would that new election be round one where all parties get to compete? Or would that new election actually be round two? between Evo Morales and Carlos Mesa. That was not clear in this mm. past weekend because that's a, that's a really important uh, question to consider because that alters their political strategy and calculus. I mean, Evo may have preferred round one all over again so he could yeah. get to that 10%, but the opposition would have definitely preferred a round two. We don't know. And the OAS has been remarkably quiet after that report. Jesse, could you say um, a little bit more about that OAS report that you're talking about? And what is the what is the OAS? So think of the uh, Organization of American States as like the UN for the Western Hemisphere. Um, they did a kind of like an audit and a report, and it was a very interesting report where they showed the discrepancies and the irregularities in the election. Like, so they found the irregularities, and they did it like over time. Like, oh, this, these sudden jumps in support. Uh, There's also interesting analysis on places where Evo was really popular. And he got 100% of the vote in places he was popular, which... <laughs> and that's not supposed to happen. That's like straight yeah. up not supposed to happen, right? Another thing to consider is that, you know, like as Steve said earlier, there's just very few left presidents. Um, you know, during the time of, you know, 10, 20, 20, 10 years ago, yeah, the OAS was divided because you had the left presidents and then right presidents. So the OAS looked divided. But here, I would I doubt the OAS looks that divided because... Like I said, Mexico is probably the only place Evo could go to. Why is that? He wasn't going to go to. I mean, no one's going to want to be associated with Maduro right now. That just is a bad look. Venezuela, you mean? Yeah, we've talked about Venezuela. Huge mess. Had this had this moment happened in four weeks from now, he may have gone to Argentina, where the Peronists may have welcomed him. But uh, you know, right now, I think Mexico is the only place. I mean, there's Lenin Moreno in Ecuador, which possible, but he has his own problems right now uh so yeah mexico is really his only option um and it's not surprising mexico's all has a history of you know people like there's a history of exiles going to mexico um fidel castro being one of them um che guevara well he wasn't an exile but he was in mexico so there's a history of like exiles going to mexico and um, also leon trotsky right? yeah trotsky this is a, a broader question for you, but like we talked about this a little bit. Didn't Evo 
Evo kind of make this mess for himself? I think he did. Evo, uh, through all of this, uh, just got high on his own supply um, and decided that his personage, uh, he personally running the country was more important than the institutions of the country, which he helped create, um, which is, of course, a contradiction in terms. Um, even many of the people that love uh, Evo and and have supported him for many years uh, did not appreciate uh, the things that he's pulled um, over the past four years in his efforts to remain in power, um, which, again, in many ways, is a great sign for Bolivia, right? It's the fact that Evo has tried to undermine these institutions and people have actually pushed back on him. Um, so for him to, you know, call this a coup uh, when the military, you know, basically suggested that he resign, uh, but then did not take power critically, um, you know, kind of says to me that um, you, you, one would expect him to say that um, because it's politically advantageous for him to do so. Uh, but it's also just in keeping with uh, his uh, last couple of years of undermining Bolivian institutions, democratic institutions, um, which he really shouldn't be doing. Yeah, but one thing we got to keep in mind, and I think this is like a problem that we face as not just like scholars, pundits, observers, is that we kind of have like there's this naive reaction that democracy won in Bolivia because he stepped down. But there's also this assumption that the opposition is actually united. Um, and this is where, like I said earlier, the, the lose-lose situation right now in Bolivia, where like Evo, you know, overstepped his bounds, um, you know, undermining institutions. But the question is, who is the opposition? We tend to think of the opposition as the conservative right in Bolivia, because um, that's how it's been for the last several years. But there's also been opposition on the left. So what it's kind of like what, what Sumi said earlier, we got we kind of have a power vacuum. Who's going to take the reins? Um, is it the conservative right based in Santa Cruz or is it, you know, an alternative left? Maybe the um, folks based in Cochabamba or in La Paz, um, we may actually see greater polarization coming to Bolivia, even though this polarizing figure of Evo Morales is out of the picture for now. Um, yeah, so that's that's where I would be worried. Um, you know, this is this. I think this is an issue that we see a lot in Latin America. That there's this polarizing figure, there's opposition to them, but that doesn't mean people get along within the opposition. That could create a new form of politics. Yeah, Later. especially especially now that Evo's gone, right? Because yeah. that sort of uh, polarizing figure has has left the scene. So all the people that united to oppose him, uh, the, the enemy of my enemy, uh, you know, is no longer my friend because the enemy is out of the picture, right? Yeah, yeah. There's um, uh, Richard Haas at uh, he's the president of the Council of Foreign Relations has informed by the Obamacare debate in the U.S. has called this the repeal and replace without a replace plan. Um, and you see this frequently in politics now, regardless of the topic we're talking about is, oh, we hate this thing so much. It has to go. It has to go. Well, what comes next? Because that is really important. You can't just pull the chair out from underneath uh, the leadership of a country or the healthcare, the healthcare system in a country and not have another chair to stick in its place, right? Yeah, this is what happened in Iraq and when we took out Saddam Hussein. And as much as he sucked, because he really did, uh, there was nothing uh, behind him. And the, the country just imploded into chaos. Uh, and we certainly don't want to see that in Bolivia. Um, Jesse, 
what do you think is going to happen here? So even though Evo's in Mexico, um, I just don't understand how his strategy was because I think the one thing to understand about Evo Morales is that he's probably the only of that cohort of leftist presidents that entered in the 2000s. He's the only one that actually survived the fall of commodity prices because it was those high commodity prices of the 2000s that helped sustain uh, the leftist governments in the early part of the 21st century. And he's actually survived through that. Um, he had he helped develop a strong political party in MAS, which is Movimiento al Socialismo, the movement to, for socialism. He, you know, it went from a social movement to a political party. The, the thing he should have done or what he, you know, ideally what he should have done is do what Lula did, groom a successor uh, to continue that legacy. Or he could have sat the term out, you know, while the commodity prices are low. The opposition gets the blame that he could come back triumphantly to power electorally. Uh, yeah, the old uh, the old rope dope, right? Evo uh, did not groom a successor um, because, again, it seems like he felt like he was the indispensable man, and nobody could really succeed him, right? Uh, so there is no successor from the mock political party to step in, right? No, uh, and I'm kind of surprised. Uh, you know, I would imagine the, the vice president who. Could have easily stepped into that role. Uh, Mas has a pool of potential candidates because they've been successful at local levels. Um, it's you know, but and somehow he he, be, he could have been Lula. Instead, he was trying to be Ortega in Nicaragua. But this um, is, Jesse, that- but isn't this part of the the challenge of this past week? Is it's not just that Evo resigned; it's that his vice president resigned. As well as everyone from MAS, uh, the movement for socialism, that could have stepped up and kept some kind of political continuity. It has to be pointed out that Evo's term that he won legally without any any problems in 2014 was set to end in January of 2020. So two months from now, they could have just had a stand-in hold place, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know what his calculations were. Uh, I, I'm surprised he didn't consider, you know, the past couple of years, his allies have been disappearing. Uh, if you want to do a stunt like this, you're going to need allies. Like this is like this is why the president of Honduras has gotten away with corruption and changing the Constitution because he has allies in the United States. This is why Correa and other presidents in Latin America have been able to get away with things because they had allies. Evo's by himself. Um, there's not he could go to AMLO. But that's just one ally. And it's, you know, and Mexico has its issues to deal with, as you guys have talked about um, in the cartel episode. Um, I would say things to watch out for in the next com- in the next coming weeks. If the conservatives take power, what policies are they going to reverse? Um, if they immediately try to reverse some of Evo's popular policies, we could see intense polarization. Um, that, I think that's the thing to watch out for. I do think the conservatives are more likely to take power. Um, but it, and if they choose to reverse some of Evo's policies, I think you're going to see a brand new form of polarization in the country and more instability, basically going back to the Bolivia of the 1990s, of uh, constant political instability. Uh, right. I think that's the one big thing to worry about. Um, I don't know what the state of the left is. Um, you know, like you said, a lot of people from Mas resigned. Um, I found that quite surprising as well. 
But let me let me ask you this. Um, is the military, the Bolivian military, a wild card in all of this? If you look at Latin American history, we assume how we, we kind of have a safe assumption how the military will operate. I mean, historically speaking, Latin American militaries operate on the behalf of the elite. I mean, this is Latin American history. Um, so the concern is, do, what are the corporate interests or what are the interests of the military and to whom they are accountable, not accountable to, but who are they allying with? I, I've, I've seen some pundits say, oh, the military stepping in for the people. I would counter with which people? Like, that's the important question. The military has always had a tenuous relationship with much of Bolivian society, especially with the miners um, and indigenous populations. I, I wouldn't say they're a wild card. I think most people would expect the military to side with the conservatives, um, but we, we don't know yet. Um, the military has been awfully quiet, I would say for a good reason, because they also are concerned with their own legitimacy. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a game of hot potato in Bolivia right now. I think earlier made the point that everybody is actually kind of scared to step up to this plate. Yeah, and maybe this is Evo's play. Let, let them all fuck each other up, and then they, he could come back as a savior. I don't know. He, <laughs> and like, yeah. It's kind of like, you know, le- create the mess, let the mess just get chaotic, and then come back and clean up the mess that you created. No, it's it's a valid point. Like, this is, I mean, I, I think that this is a, it's a valid point. So, okay, uh, people on the left in the U.S. as well as throughout Latin America are calling this a coup. People on the right are saying this is uh, Bolivians reclaiming democracy from a, a wannabe dictator. And in reality, the where we are right now with what we know, we're in this power vacuum, and there is an opportunity if the vacuum gets messy enough for Evo to come back and look like a restorative hero. Yeah, very possible. I mean, also, who who says, oh, yeah, there's a coup and I resign? It's like, it's kind of like, are you, did you quit before you got fired or did you get fired, then you quit? Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it's all about constructing the narrative, right? Um, so, yeah. yeah, maybe he sits, sits this out for a couple months. Uh, nobody is really effectively able to take power and then he comes back uh you know not with a vengeance but as a sort of a returning hero uh and says hey you know um i'm here and i can pick things up where i left off you know his policies by all accounts were still very popular even if he personally was less popular than he used to be right yeah but then look you also got to think about like what does this mean for bolivian democracy i mean Right now, Bolivians are really dissatisfied with the democracy. Is this going to allow whoever steps into power, whether it's Evo coming back or someone else, are we going to see a further dismantling of democracy, which, you know, for much of Bolivian history has been a struggle? Um, yeah. Are we going to see even democratic backsliding? Because, you know, the, the concern is of all the violence and instability, the next person in power may come in and be like, we need to institute these type of rules, laws, policies. In other words, let's just strip down democracy to have some law and order. Uh, right. That's also a big concern right. uh, for the country. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Great points. Um, you know, I think we're going to leave it there for this week. Once again, Jesse, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, you've been totally awesome and you've filled in a lot of blanks for us uh, in this situation. Uh, you truly are an expert and we hope to have you back sometime soon. 
Oh, no, thanks. Anytime. No, a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of huffing and puffing from the altitude here. So imagine doing this podcast in La Paz right now. Right. 12,000 feet. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we hope things uh, clarify soon in Bolivia. Uh, we'll continue to monitor the situation, which is, of course, our catchphrase. Uh, and uh, we will talk to everybody next week.